Uh, we've been talking uh, from the thought of the reality of restoration. The re- restoration is a possibility. And I've told you that what the Lord wants to do is to restore us. Um, and everything that the enemy has taken. Now, when I say that the enemy has stolen, I'm not just talking about the last few months. I'm talking about from the beginning. I'm talking about uh, Adam and Eve. I'm talking about ancient stories of the enemy who's come to steal and to kill and to destroy. And the work of the Lord. Uh, wow, that graves into garden song. My, 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 my. Aren't you glad that you serve a God who turns graves into gardens? Aren't you glad that he puts rivers uh, in the desert? Anybody thankful that that's the way he is? That he is the one who said to the dry bones in the valley of dry bones and through Ezekiel, let those bones live again and a mighty army rises up. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. So God is in restoration but sometimes we are constantly in rehab. And, and sooner or later, we need to be who God has called us to be. Today, I want to talk to you from this thought, of course, better together. And we're looking at a scripture in 1 Corinthians 12. Our bodies have many parts, but the many parts make up only one body when they are all put together. So it is with the body of Christ. Say it. So it is with the body of Christ. We are better together. We are better together. Now, I, I've taught you this. We've said this. Freedom is family. One of the most difficult times I can remember have, having as a pastor is uh, this particular season. It's just tough. And one of the most difficult aspects is this I love your faces. I love your face. Go ahead, look at the person next to you and say, I love your face. All right, go ahead. Yeah, I love it. I love seeing your faces. It's not that it gives me a sense of affirmation that you're here. It's that as a shepherd, I like to see the sheep. And when they're scattered, it makes it difficult. I'm so thankful for those of you who are online and that are worshiping with us this morning. I'm so grateful. I can't turn my Facebook off because I'm wanting to see who's there and, and I'm wanting to interact. I love you guys. I love you so dearly, but I love your faces. I, I, love, I love knowing where you sit and you just messed me up with that totally, all right? I see Tim and Kim back here. You never sit back there. You're always up here. You know, what's, what's going on? Some of you are kind of in general right here, you know, Jerry, the whole family, they're pretty much in, in order there. You, you own that. Linda, Jennifer, I see you in the right spot. That's really cool. That's good. So uh, I work with that, John. You're never over here. You're always over here, okay? But, but I know where you sit. I know where you are. I, I, I love knowing where you are. I also love your hugs, I love them. So these, these air hugs, I'm, I'm feeling really done with that, all right? Uh, but, but if that's all I can get, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to squeeze a little tighter, all right? Uh, so, so I love that. I love having our family here. I, I love that Lauren, Felicia, and Malachi have made it in from L.A. for a little while. And uh, yeah, what, what if, I'm, I'm clapping my hands. You don't have to, but I am. So struggle with not seeing my immediate family. Uh, I love being together. It feels so good to be together. I just love it. I love it so much. Somebody shout together. Just that word, together. I love being, now you got to get this. I love being together. And I, I mean that in so many ways. In scripture, when the Lord Jesus 
is doing his ministry, he did something that's very interesting that we, we would love to be able to do like he did. Uh, and that is that the Lord, when he traveled, and you can see this in Luke chapter 7, verse 22, uh, where John the Baptist is wondering what's going on. And Jesus said, go tell John the things you have heard, seen and heard that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. So you'll notice that in the story of Jesus, he's constantly bumping into individuals who are lame. He's seeing individuals that uh, are blind, individuals who have body parts that are not working. And for some reason, the Lord to healing people who have problems with their body. And, and I'm, I'm looking at the scripture and it speaks to so much, but I think it speaks to something bigger because uh, the body is more than an earth suit. God created you. He formed you. And some of you think he just kind of took a second and rolled some dirt and some mud together. No, he formed you in a spectacular fashion. You have feet, you have toes. I mean, there is not another creature that can stand like you can stand and move like you can move. I mean, we're struggling, I know, with the discussion of this virus, but, but you, you realize that the way that God created you is that you, you get attacked and something happens inside of you that anything that is anti your body, something rises up inside of you and fights against those particular things. Have you ever been asleep at night and you slept too hard on one arm and you woke up and that arm was just laying there and you just kind of threw it over and, and it just laying there. You said, well, you knew what it was going to do. It's going to wake back up. It's coming back sooner or later. It's, it's going to come back. And that's the way that the Lord created you so that blood would flow to the extremities of your body. But you know that when you consider the Lord, he's alpha and omega. So in the beginning, he already knew the end. Do you get that? In the beginning, he already knew the end. So when he was creating a body, he knew that one day that he would also have a church. And that particular church would be called the body. And we are not just a gathering that is here on a Sunday, but it is important that we keep circulation going. It's important that we keep moving, that our legs move, our toes move, our arms move, our neck moves, our head moves, our shoulders move. It's really important that happens because, oh, okay, I'll tell you this. I know you're thinking this is the worst time ever. I want to straighten you out just a little bit. We were made for times such as this. We were created for moments like this. I hate it. I'll be glad we get back to normal. What normal do you want to get back to? You are more beautiful than you have ever been. You, you have been given a time to shine. And God is saying, hey guys, get it together right now. You say, well, there ain't never been a time like this. Well, you, you weren't there when the first church was here. I mean, when the first church was here, the first church body of Christ was introduced to a world filled with kings and emperors, massive class distinction, intensive racism, massive slavery that was all over the world. If you wanted to be a leader, you could expect that you could lead for a while until somebody assassinated you over and over again. Caligula, Claudius, Galba, uh, all of these names that I can't pronounce too well, one after another. 
another. They were just murdered. They were poisoned. The Praetorian Guard would rise up against them and kill them, hang them. I mean, you think, well, I can't stand all this political stuff. It's just messing up the church. What are you talking about? They killed us, murdered us. They hung us on trees until they couldn't find any more lumber to hang us on. And the church thrived and grew because they knew that the gospel was so important and they had something to live for more than that was on this planet. I said, we were made for this. Some people say, I'm mad right now. Well, you need to get settled right now. You, you need to get to a place right now where you can be Jesus, where they can yell at you, cuss at you, slap you, kill you, and you'll rise up and say, I know, but they did that to Jesus. And Jesus said, if they hated you, me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Come on, wake up, church. Wake up. We're better than this. And he changed the world. It was in this world that Jesus himself was murdered. And he said, yeah, I'm going to be the least of these. I'm going to be the servant of all got down on his knees, started washing, each, washing their feet. He said, guys, watch me serve when everybody hates me. And I'll, I'll be killed, but after three days, I'll rise again. And then he teaches this, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will also dwell in you. Well, why do I need that? Because I need resurrection. I need my grave turned into a garden. So it's, it's, these are the kinds of words that Jesus changed. Is this all right? Are you with me online today? Are you with me? I'm looking at Matthew 22. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord. You want to know the greatest commandment is? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Come on. Anybody read this before? That's the greatest commandment. Just keep loving God. How do you keep loving God? Everything you do, you do it in love to God. Everything you do, you do it as unto the Lord. Everything, say everything. Everything I do, everything I say, every step I take, I do it because I love, love, love. I often say love, love, love because love isn't good enough. There's not a word. It's kind of like saying holy, holy, holy. Why did the Bible say holy, holy, holy? It says holy, holy, holy because one holy is not enough. So anybody love, love, love God? Anybody love, love, love God? So that's the first. And then you shall love, love, love your neighbor as yourself. We all know what my neighbor is. Love, love, love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Find somebody that's hurting. Find somebody that's wounded. Find somebody that's sad. Find somebody that's broken. That's your neighbor. You love them. Or they're screaming at me. You just keep loving them. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, Matthew 5, 43. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. I want you to write that scripture down, Matthew 5, 43. Hang it on your refrigerator. Amen. Hang it on your TV set. So you can everything that happens there, you can compare it to what Jesus said. Everything that's going on in the world. Now, I love this teaching. Into a divisive worldly system comes the church, the body of Jesus. We are diverse economically, we are diverse generationally, and we are diverse ethnically. Loving others and saying, no matter what the world says you are, remember, you are more than my brother or sister. You are my arm. You are my leg. You are my neck. You are my elbow. Anybody ever had one joint mess up on you? Just one. 
Just one. Just a shoulder. Just a shoulder. You can't even sleep at night. One shoulder. It's like I got all the rest of my body, but one shoulder and I can't sleep at night. If I could just have somebody, why can't I find a doctor to heal my shoulder right now? One shoulder. It wouldn't even have your shoulder. Just one, just a toenail. A toenail is messed up and you will cry yourself to sleep. My toe hurts. My toe or a knee. A knee, that will mess you up, won't it? A knee. Or just, you know, just your earlobe is sore. I mean, it doesn't take much for us, does it? Paper cut, paper cut. I got a paper cut. Thank you, Mo. Now, here's the thing. You are my toe. You are my shoulder. You are my ear. You hear what I'm saying? If you hurt, I hurt. That's why we got to come together. Because when you're hurt, I'm going to find a way to heal you. Because when you're hurting, I am hurting. You say, What's the, why is the church doesn't feel so strong? Because some of you are limping right now. And we've got to take care of one another. We've got to love one another. And I know it's difficult because sometimes it's hard to love people who are unjust and oppressive. And in this culture right now, we're seeing that people are racist, that people are, uh, people are angry, people are mean. And listen, Jesus isn't saying put up with oppression. The word of God is clear in Isaiah 1 and 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings and from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. But what is he saying there? He's saying, take care of the body. Take care of each other. Stand up for each other. Love one another. You understand? I love, I love the word of God. I have more to say. I have so many more scriptures, but I have so many more people that need to speak to this particular time. Okay? Now, I want us to change our heart. Some of you people say, what we need to do is change the nation. And I want to tell you that we are the body of Christ. Don't try to change a nation if, you, if God can't change your heart. You hear me? You say... You say, I'm going to, ch- I'm going to, I'm going to march. I, I, hey, march. Praise God. I'll march with you. Okay? But don't, listen, don't just march. Be transformed on the inside. You see what I'm saying? You say, I'm going to change the world. God changes the world by changing hearts. I need you, and I need you, and I need you. I need you. I watched you come in the door. and said, well, you know, I came to church. We came to be together, and we are better together. Now, we've got to get this thing together. So I want to transition to two areas, to the church. In Acts, I want you to look at the diverse body of Christ. In Acts 2 and 14, Peter, standing up with the eleven on the day of Pentecost, said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose. It is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, in the last day, says God, in the last day, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all, circle that, all flesh. And then he says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see vision. Your old men shall dream dreams. This is for you and your children and your children's children. In other words, we are, a, we are two things here. I want you to know that we are a multinational, a multi-ethnic church. And we are also a multi-generational church. 
I want us to fix this. Anybody with me? And I'm not going to talk about this. First of all, our associate pastor Preston is coming to talk about the reality that we are a multi-generational church. Come on, let's hear it for our associate pastor Preston. Uh, Man, this is so good already. I had high expectations for today's uh, service. And we're like 10 minutes in, and I feel like <laughs> this is so good. Whenever I'm speaking to youth or I'm speaking to people about youth ministry, oftentimes I think the one scripture that lots of people like to go to, lots of youth ministry rooms and kids' church rooms have this scripture on the wall, is 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Another version would say, let no one look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. So very similar, a little bit of difference. I really, I'm going to jump right on into this, but basically what this is, this is a letter coming from the Apostle Paul uh, to Timothy, who is a young leader serving the church in Ephesus. You know, commentators estimate that Timothy was at least in his mid to late 20s when it was written. So it's kind of fun when you like revisit some scripture and because you've seen it used for so many different areas, specifically like kids church, it's kind of funny that we use this for kids church so much, but this was written to a guy in his mid 20s, right? So, so he's at least his mid 20s, possibly as, as uh, old as his his mid-30s when he's given this letter. We're not told if there's any, what kind of story there is behind this on why Paul is writing to him. We don't know what happened, why there's a despising or why there's a looking down on. Um, I know as a youth pastor, this kind of like hits home because so often in youth ministry, it's like a joke among youth pastors that it's always the youth group's fault. So I kind of understand like if he was coming from that perspective of he's young and something goes wrong in church and it's automatically the young guy's fault. So I totally get it. But at this point, we don't know anything that's gone on. We don't know what the despising is. We don't know what the, the looking down on is. We don't know what any of this is. Perhaps the church in Ephesus didn't really look down on Timothy as the leader, but they just struggled to look up to him as a leader. It's less about it's less about that you're not, you're not good enough because X, Y, and Z. And it's more about, well, what do you really know? And I can tell you, and I'll be a little transparent, but at almost 36 years old and a lifetime spent in this building, 16 years on staff at the church, and I, I can tell you from experience, I can empathize with what it feels like to want to lead but have people look down on you or at least not look up to you because you just haven't had the life experiences that they've had. I've had so many experiences and I've had to forgive people in my heart because they've looked at me and they've looked at me just because of my age, my lack of experience, my lack of gray hair. Don't worry, that's catching up. They look at me across a table and they just tell me that I just don't know. So I can empathize. But Paul didn't address the exact issues. He didn't address, address exact people. Instead, he called Timothy. 
regardless of what anybody says about your age, no matter what age you are, it doesn't matter how old you are, God has called you to set an example in every area of your life for the believers. So, so often we put this just on, like we love to use this for youth group because the word youth comes up in this scripture. But it's not about age. It's not just about young people or just about old people. It's not saying old people stop looking down on young people and young people set an example for all the believers. Really what it's saying is no matter what age you are, you ought to be setting examples for believers. Why? Why is it so important that we set examples for believers? Because you know what? You can argue a lot of stuff. And if you've got a social media account on any social media platform, you know people know how to argue and they can argue absolutely any point. But what's really hard to argue is just a really good example. You can fact check all kinds of stuff. You can come up, you can come up and post whatever statistics you want, and people will say, Oh, that statistic is skewed. But you know what isn't skewed is when you just live your life in love and in sight of what God wants you to do. When you're living, when you're allowing the Holy Spirit to live through you, you don't need statistics. You don't need statistics because you have fruit. The big lesson here is it doesn't matter if you're young, it doesn't matter if you're old, it doesn't matter if you're somewhere in between. We're all called to set an example. Two isn't an excuse to be terrible. Teenage, year, teenage years isn't an excuse to be rebellious. College isn't an excuse to experiment with sin. And being old isn't an excuse to be set in your ways. None of us, none of us have an excuse. We're all supposed to be setting examples. We all have to ask ourselves, what can we learn from each other about the way we talk, the way we live, the way we love, the way we approach purity? What can we learn from each other? How can we be better examples? You know, one of the most powerful tools I've learned during this season of, you know, from quarantine to you know, the social climate, one of the most powerful tools we have is the ability to change our mind. The ability to say, you know, I used to think this way, but you know what? Now I think this way. It's an incredible tool, a powerful tool, because what it does is it allows you to speak to people who think the way you used to think. So such an a powerful tool, but what we oftentimes do, what I'm seeing, is we latch on to ideas, and because we typed it up and we put it out there and somebody screenshot it somewhere, now all of a sudden we can't change our minds. So now we have to latch on to the idea that we used to think when we were ignorant, but now we're not ignorant, but we hold on to that ignorant thought just because, well, we're too committed to it. It's out in the, it's out in the atmosphere. It's out on the internet. So now I have to be committed to it. But, man, it's so powerful when we can be honest and say, man, I used to think like this, but now I think like that. It's that whole idea of being transformed. 
not conformed, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Old people. See, I kind of fit right in the middle. My hair's starting to go. My hair's starting to gray, but I can still run a pretty good 5K. So I feel like I'm not young, because if I run the 5K, I might need some ice, but I can still do it. So I feel like I can talk to everybody in this room. Old people, we need to fight the urge that says our life, our hurts, our disappointments, our successes, our regrets, our victories, and even our failures mean we know best. Because we don't always know best. Young people, we need to fight the urge that says this is a new generation. We need to do things differently. That the world isn't the same as when it, when it was with the old people who are young. And that they will never understand. We've got to come together. We've got to set an example. All of us, no matter how old we are, how young we are, we all, all have to set an example. We've got to listen to each other and be willing to learn from each other. Because the goal of all of this isn't just to be good, better. It, all of the, the goal for, of all of this is for us to look like Jesus. Five ways that we find in 1 Timothy. Five ways that we need to be setting examples. Speech. I'm going to run through some scripture. Speech. Psalm 19, 14. May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Even when we're mad, even when we're hurt, even when we're feeling neglected, abused, our speech has to reflect the Father. Set an example for in, in life. Ephesians 2.10. For we, for we are God's handiwork. This is one of my favorite scriptures. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which is which God prepared in advance for us. We were made to do what? Good work. We were made to do good things. We have to ask ourselves and be honest, what good things have we done lately? Good work. And don't sell yourself short. Some of us are going to come up with some really cheap ideas of good things. Well, I did the laundry. That's good. <laughs> Consider this. The creator of the entire world. The same guy that created the moon and the stars and Italian food and smells and like all of these things. The creator of everything created you and he, he considers you his handiwork. But then we live our lives and do just the bare minimum and kind of feel like we measure up to doing the good work that God prepared for us to do in advance. God, God says you are his handiwork. We ought to be living examples of just doing good things. Like I've said so many times before, don't wait for a committee or a team or a logo or an event. Just do good things. Don't wait for a ministry. Just live life and that, let that be your ministry. Because why? Because you were created to do good. We should be examples of love. love. Loving God. Loving each other. Loving our neighbors. Loving our enemies. Loving people we like. People we don't like. People who get under our 
under our skin, people who get on our nerves, people that don't look like us, live like us, sound like us. We got to love everyone. Love is the basis for our faith, and I'm convinced our inability to love people we don't understand or like is the primary downfall of the church. Our inability to love people, not just say I love you because that's different. Our ability to sacrifice, because that is really, really the common denominator for all love, is whether or not you're able to sacrifice, you're able to give something up. If you're willing to get uncomfortable for somebody that you love. One thing that love will always call you to do, it doesn't matter if it's for your kid, for your wife, for your husband, for your friend, or even for your enemy. Love always calls you to pain. Always. Always calls you to pain. Always calls you to to hurt. To be uncomfortable. And until we get that and we do that, we're going to constantly fail. We've got to be an example for love. 1 John 4, 7, 8. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know does not love, does not know God, because why? God is love. If we could put God in a box and put him on a grocery, on a grocery store shelf, and you looked at the back of the box, you know, like, if you look at, like, Twinkies, it's got, like, a list of a bunch of stuff you can't understand. If you grabbed a God box off of, off of the grocery store shelf, you'd look on the back and it's ingredients, it would be really simple. It would just say love. So if we don't have love, if we don't have the ability to hurt for people that we don't like, then, man, we are missing the mark. John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He keeps it simple. He doesn't even say we have to walk on water or turn water into wine. We don't have to do any of those other things that he did. He just said you just got to love. Faith. It's the next one, faith. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your, your path straight. And then Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Sometimes trusting God is only achieved when we give up on our feelings and we choose to hold on to his truth. Faith. We have to be the example of trusting God when things don't make sense. Then lastly, purity. Sometimes when we hit this, we jump straight to topics of, I'm reading the room, romantic relationships. But purity goes far beyond just the bedroom. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The first word here is create. Create. Create, build something, create in me a clean heart. Anybody ever uh, have kids who play baseball or soccer or something like that? I, I played baseball, and I know after a good, hard baseball game, I liked, as a kid in Little League, I knew I had a good game if my pants were dirty, all right? My pants were dirty. That, mean, that meant I was in the game. I don't know if you've ever had to clean, like, grass stain and dirt stain out of pants, But a couple things have to happen if you're going to get clean pants. One, your kid has to take the pants off. And two, you got to be willing to do some scrubbing. The same thing happens with our hearts. If we want to have clean hearts, 
we've got to be willing to give up our hearts. You can't get your pants clean if you're going to keep them on. You've got to give it up. So if you want a clean heart, you've got to give up your heart, number one. And number two, you've got to be willing to let the Holy Spirit scrub. And scrubbing is uncomfortable. It's friction. It breaks things up, and that's how it, but that's how it gets clean. We've got to be the example for clean hearts, pure hearts. We've got to be an example for trusting God. We've got to be the example for living life and doing good and loving people and talking with love and reflecting the Father. We've got to do these things. If we're going to have a clean heart, we've got to, got to surrender. All right. So we are, we are better together. We are better together because he has called us and he wants to fill us with his spirit and he wants to touch our sons and our daughters. He wants to touch the old and he wants to touch the young. Somebody shout amen. amen. But we are, we are the example in that the spirit of the Lord is poured out upon all flesh. When the spirit of the Lord comes upon all flesh, it unites us. It does not divide us. It separates us. But at the, same, at the same time, it reveals who he is. The church is the example. Listen, the nations will not overcome racism without the church. Several years ago, I met this young man who was not as young as he used to be. And we have seen inner city ministry effective since those days, I am so thankful to have home with us because we are better together. Moses David. Come on, Pastor Mo. Come on. Share a few words about being the multi-ethnic community. Amen. Yes, God. Good stuff, isn't it? Good stuff. My God. I, um, I want to share. I pulled together some things uh, for today, and I wanted to address what I believe, and, and, and even in your workplace, wherever you're at, even in your home, um, at different churches, I believe that there's a situation that's taking place. We all are seeing it, but yet it's still like an elephant in the room. Can I say that? In the spirit realm, it makes things tight because everybody, and even myself, I found to be in a crossroads to really not know in what side to lean on because I'm bit uh, I, what can I say? Uh, I don't want to say confused, but just um, torn, right? Into what direction and how we're supposed to be uh, interpreting and receiving what's happening on the earth right now. But I want to say this before I even go into this. Be encouraged. Many of us have been praying for revival. We've been praying God move on our nation. I believe he's doing that right now. And all we need is an opportunity, right, to fill in the missing piece. My God, I believe our nation has, pu has pushed a lie that the body has embraced. Is that okay? Yeah, has pushed a lie that the body has embraced. The body of Christ has coddled a lie, able to challenge it, nor render it powerless. Did you know that anything or concept that's man-made outside of God's word that's designed to alter or change its original design or truth is a lie. 
Amen. Yeah, that makes it a fit, an official lie. Before I go to the word, I want to mention this important uh, fact that all that we all need to embrace. And that is according to the word of God, there is only one race. And that's the human race, period. I'm going to say that again. According to the word. That might be hurting a few of y'all because sometimes we like, to, we like to keep our thing. I got a half mind. But see, when Christ is in you and you have the mind of Christ, you got to let go of your thing. And you got to remember whose you are and where you come from. And where you come from, you come from a place where we're all connected and intertwined. And there's no way that we can ever be separated. None. It's not biblical. Jesus. This truth can only be fully embraced if one is born of the spirit. Uh-oh. Only born of the spirit. To be born of the spirit and born again means that your spirit man has been reborn, right? This empowers you to see things the way God sees things. And your mind, body, and soul submits to the father's nature. Y'all following me? It submits to the Father's nature. So whatever's been there that has been crooked, it becomes straight, right, by the Spirit because we're born from above. Oh, man. I, I, I want to share a bit of a history to shine light on where I'm going with this. Put on your seatbelts. It is fact that the forefathers of our nation who were recorded to be born-again believers thought to be doing a good thing but was far from a God thing because they did not allow their born-again experience to transform their mind. See, when you come into Christ, there is another part, and that part is renewing your mind, losing yours, and taking on the mind of Christ. But if you don't do that, you can come up with some strange things. Once the spirit has been born again, the mind must be renewed and transformed. Then the body comes into the submission of the born-again spirit to allow the will of man to be under submission to the will of God. This is how, uh, uh, as far as believers, can create their own moral truths that seem right from emotions and that create lies birthed from the flesh and not a renewed mind. We're even seeing this take place today. Oh my goodness, follow me, I'm going somewhere. So now history records that when it came to a moral, ethical, and equal treatment of the men and women they brought to this nation from Africa, the continent, and enslaved, they created an unmoral, an unacceptable, and unethical lie and reduced the lives of black men and women down to property, making them three-fifths of a human being y'all following me making them this was a law that was passed making them three-fifths of a human being this action is what created another race Jesus. Jesus. 
a people to be bought, sold, and owned. So what do we see? What what have we uh, learned from this? Is that we even bought the lie. From not knowing our very own history and then also not knowing where we come from. My God, do you see why now? And I'm not knocking it at all. This is all they know. You can only do what you know. But this is why we have Black Lives Matter. Because they've bought, we've bought the lie that there's actually another race. When there is is only one race. Hmm. These are the same men that wrote the declaration saying we hold these truths to be self-evident that all are created equal also wrote and created that the new that the men and women brought to be enslaved were three-fifths of a human being meaning for every five slaves they equal three people. It's in the amendment of the Constitution of 1787. You can look it up. It's it's all in there. The, The creation of race was for economic gain. It was about property and power, not about people. This is what created the divide. Oh, church, but y'all need to get excited. I I didn't bring that to put you down. I I want you to see something. Now you know how we have a leg up. (laughs) Because you can't, that may, it may be a fact of what happened, but truth says that there is only one. Oh, and that is what's supposed to be upon our lips if we would get in position. This is the root of racism. Yes, this is the root of racism. Ism meaning an oppressive and especially discriminatory attitude or belief. Where does that come from? Isms come when lies are created to distort or alter truth or the original design of something. So it creates isms. There's a whole lot of other isms out there. But this one is being highlighted because of where we are. When we can discuss our different ethnicities, this is the beauty about the kingdom. There weren't any other races. You can't find that in the word. It's nowhere. You can search it. I tried. I didn't find it. Let me know if you find it. But it's not mentioned in the word. There's only one human race. But what is in the word is ethnicities, right? Different backgrounds and cultures that all come together like we have in this very house that makes things amazing. It takes things to another level. We all feed off of one another's gifts and we're all able to come to the table of brotherhood, right? Which the prophet, yes, I said the prophet Martin Luther King, not civil rights movement leader, but prophet spoke and said, I see. He saw it, white people and black people, children coming together, sitting down at the table of brotherhood. Where do you think that table is? It's not in corporate world. It ain't in your, he was talking about the church. And a lot of people say that the dream hasn't come forth. Well, I'd like to debunk that because I'm standing right now in the middle of the dream. And I see all different nationalities all sitting at the table eating fellowship. 
My God, we have victory in Christ Jesus because only Christ Jesus will allow you to sit in the midst of a community like this. You're not going to do it if you haven't been born of the Spirit. It just doesn't make sense to you. You can't see it. You always want to divide. My God. We need more conversations and less marches. That's just me. We can march all day, but if you have no plan after or no follow-up plan, all we're doing is losing our voices, creating more divide when we don't take the time to sit down and talk to people that don't have the same view you got. But see, the reason why this doesn't happen, because many people aren't born of the spirit. That's why the church needs to get involved, because we're born of the spirit and we can have mature conversations with people that don't look and think like us. Because we should be like dead people, walking dead. If you die to yourself, you no longer, self is no longer, right, in the midst of what it is that you should be communicating so you don't get easily offended. You can go in the graveyard right now and shout at somebody, talk about them, run their name down. They're not going to talk back to you, I promise you. If they do, I don't know what you tapped into and we can lay hands on you and deliver you. But that should not be happening. <laughs> mm. I say all this because I want to share my, my testimony of what I've been able to experience myself as a black male in America. That's the conversation, right? What is it like to be? I shared this with somebody and I told them, all of my life, I'm so grateful for my upbringing because my father... He never taught me, nor did he even give me an uh, opportunity to fear because of the color of my skin. My father didn't raise me up to be a black man in America, and we didn't have them conversations. He didn't even entertain it. What he raised me to be is a man, and he told me this is how men gain good fruit. And there were certain things that he, he imparted into me. And he said, son, if you do these things, you can be in places that others even will probably uh, envy you, be jealous of you, because I'm giving you these gems. And I've never heard it come out of my father's mouth ever. He was in the military when racism was high. And he ranked chief master sergeant at the age of 34. And you can't tell me he ain't never experienced racism. But you know what? He never talked about it, nor did he ever say it. But I know he faced it. But he did not let it define him and did not create something inside of him to say, I must continually come against this. I'm just going to live and bring everyone else who wants to listen with me on how to be successful in a continent in a place like this. But my experience, I've been racially profiled three times. Now you're going to laugh at this. It never happened until I bought a Hummer. <laughs> I'm just, they didn't mess with me when I had my Honda. My broke down. I didn't, they weren't thinking about me. But I can't say this. When I got that Hummer, man, I said, gee, I might end up trading this thing. This is, this is something else. But there was a night that I experienced, um, and, I, and, and, and I'm sharing this 
because I know what I'm preaching is truth because of the mindset and what I've been able to receive through the spirit. So I got pulled over one night and this was a night everybody knows about Uber, right? So I do Ubering um, every now and then when I can make a little, little extra money. Um, baby girl in private school. So I do it. To, you know what I mean? Make sure she can stay in. Amen. So we, we're doing all these things. And so I'm out and I'm Ubering. So it's late at night. I just dropped somebody off and lights come on. Okay. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not like, oh, God, you know, fearing for my life or anything. I just pull on over. He comes on the, on the right side of the truck, flashlight, all in. He's not even saying anything to me, just doing a flashlight thing. Comes back around, flashlight in my face, flashlight down, didn't say anything. And then eventually he goes back to the other side, knocks and says, put your window down. So I put my window down. The first thing he says, look, you got any drugs or weapons in this vehicle? That's exactly how he talked to me. You got any weapons or drugs in this He knocks like, look, you got any weapons or, or drugs in this vehicle? Um, no, sir. No, no, I don't. He takes flashlight, look again, comes back around again to the other side, has me roll down my window, and he asked me again. And I said, no, sir, I don't have any um, drugs. I don't have anything that on me. What are you doing out here this late? Um, just finished dropping somebody off, Ubering. Really, this late? Yeah, sometimes I'll Uber till 2, 3 in the morning, you know, if the money's good. <laughs> You know, you can do that, you know. And uh, he looks like, I don't believe you. Where's your, where's your phone? Did you, don't you have the Uber app? Yes. Yes, sir. There you go. Look at the Uber app. He's looking. Okay. So then he looks again. Another cop pulls up. Two cops pull up behind him. Now they're all coming out. They're coming to the truck. So then when the other guys come in, he then goes and he says, I'm going to ask you again whether we're going to search your vehicle or not. We have not decided that, but I'm going to ask you again. Do you have any drugs or weapons in the, in, in the truck? I said, no, I do not. So then he looks, and he takes a flashlight, and he points it right down in between my crotch. And he reaches his hand in the, in the truck, and he puts his finger in between my crotch. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, he almost lost his hand. I know I got a certain amount of skills, but the spirit of the living God, he came, put his finger in there, pulls it up and he shows it to me and he flashes a light on it. And he says, what is this? And I said, that's a salad from a taco wrap that I just ate just a few minutes ago. And then at this time, and I'm going to be honest, can I be transparent? I'm boiling. I'm boiling. And so I did say, you may need a little more training if you think that's what I'm thinking you're thinking it is. I did. It slipped out. I silently said, forgive me, Lord. But I said that you, you need some more, like, that is not what you think. It, look, man, I'm going to ask you again. Do you have any drugs? And that's when I was able to pull from the spirit. And this is what I mean by born from above. Because at this time, he had already crossed the line. And so now something needed to happen. 
So my spirit man rose up and I began to preach fire in my truck and let him know that, no, I do not have any drugs. But what I do is I lay hands on people that have a drug addiction and I, I help those who were once drug dealers and turn them into entrepreneurs. I do. And I begin the Holy Spirit begin to give me things to say. And then before I knew it, I'm preaching full fledged by this time. And the cop says, he's holding on, I hear him, I see him gripping onto my door, and he says, all right, all right, all right, all right. And I saw conviction come all over him. He couldn't take it, because, and his eyes were big, because he was not expecting that to come from a young black man with dreadlocks in a, in a Hummer that actually had and could articulate and speak very well, right? And then have the word of God inside of them and begin to preach to him, right? About what it is and how I've been transformed. In the midst of that happening, then his friend comes up and he, because he sees it getting kind of altered. And I said, yes. I said, man, you guys, I'm going to tell you, I don't know if he's new or not, but he needs some training because he did all this wrong. I said, and I'm not even his sergeant, but I know he did. <laughs> he needs some training. And then the guy steps up. He said, yeah, no, it's just regular routine, whatever. And then he goes, well, um, what church are you affiliated with? I said, Freedom Fellowship, Bishop Hawker, um, off of Regency Drive. I said, that's my home. That's my covering. And I've been doing ministry with them for years. He said, really? Pastor Rick? <laughs> that's what he... He said, man, I love that church. So him and I start talking. We kicking it now. The whole atmosphere changed. And the guy who was being very rude was standing on the corner looking like simpleton. Because not only did he re receive something from me he wasn't expecting, but then it was confirmed by the cop that, I, that he actually knew who, I, who my covering was. And then I spoke to him again, and I spoke directly into him and began to speak words as the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, and all, he didn't say nothing else back to me. But I say all that to say, the only way you get those results is that you must be born of the Spirit. Amen? You cannot just have your own views, opinions, and expect to be able to get those type of results. And I also learned that you can be angry and sin not. That was the first real episode that I had <laughs> that I was able to have anger inside of me but submit it to the Holy Spirit and kick in the gift that the Father put inside of me. That is where the body should be. Amen. Let's go to Matthew 5. Sum it up with this. <laughs> Matthew 5, 13. It talks about, and you're familiar with this, the salt of the earth, right? It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Salt, flavor, right? And to preserve. We're built to preserve, right? Situations, things, places, to be able to get in places of opportunity and begin to be the salt of the situation. The only way that we can submit to that is that we're willing to lay down what we feel that divides us as races 
instead of the human race. When you line up under the human race and born of the spirit, you can be salt instead of black. You can be salt instead of white. You can be salt instead of Puerto Rican. You can be salt instead of African. You can be salt instead of Asian. Because that is what's going to bring the results. Amen? Amen. Blessings. Stay on your feet. Stay on your feet. Yeah, stay up. Stay up. It's the longest pandemic service we've had. But listen, we are not under the authority of a virus. We are under the authority of Jesus, the King of Kings. I, we're going to receive communion in a moment. Let me, let me just read a, a few scriptures to you. I don't think I have those up here, Keith, but Revelation 19, 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. John chapter 17, verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, Jesus says, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Say it. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. John 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So here, Preston, Moses, what you have preached today is this. This is the principle. It's it's a truth. We are in the world, but we are not of it. We are in the world, but we are not of it. However, our lack of sanctification is being revealed in these moments. Does that ring a bell for anybody our lack of it our need to be together we are better together not just you and me not just young and old not just ethnically diverse but filled with the spirit of Christ and I saw this remember this a few years ago I saw this in a dream and I preached it to you you remember the dream and the dream if so it was one of those dreams it was like a movie In the dream, I saw a large barricade. It was a fortress. And I walked through the door and I saw a beautiful bride. Standing, getting ready to be hung. She was ready to be killed. And in the chaos, she was beautifully dressed. But in the chaos of the moment... She saw an opportunity to run for her life. And she ran for her life. She ran through the crowd. She ran fast through the crowd. And they couldn't touch her. But then as she ran. She, you could see that her clothes became spotted. And eventually. She ran into a restaurant. And she sat down in a booth in a restaurant. She was hungry. She was dirty. And someone walked over to her and said, if you don't change your clothes, somebody's going to find you and kill you. And they handed her a paper bag 
filled with alternative clothing and she ran into a restroom and she changed her clothes and she just blended in and she walked away into the crowd and that was the end of my dream. And it was a portrait of what the enemy is trying to do to us right now. We are the church of the Lord Jesus. We are not bodies. We are one body. And he calls us. He calls us to be pure and to be holy. Too much scripture here. Man, we needed the word. That last scripture about being seasoned. And how, are we, how, how do we get pure? How do we get this? Through the word of God. And you have had the word of God on this, on this morning. Anybody love Revelation 21? Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, saw John, I, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Anybody love this? How many love when you're reading the word of God? It's kind of like cruising. Anybody? I was, I was driving uh, the other day uh, back, from, uh, back, back from Portsmouth. And Felicia started talking about the way I was driving. She always picks on my driving. And that's because I'm driving along. Then I hit the brake. Anybody ever do that? You're driving along. Suddenly, suddenly something happens. You just hit the brake. This, this, is, this is the way Christians read the scripture. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them. Anybody love this? Anybody feel the cruise? And God will, and he will be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. And there shall be no more death or sorrow or crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Feel the cruise right now like you're driving a Hummer down Shore Drive or something. Just, Just kicking it, you know. Behold, I make all things new, he said to me. Right. For these words are true and faithful. Keep reading. Matthew or Revelation 21, 6. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. How many need this? Just cruising. I will be his God and he shall be my son. Breaks. Ah! But the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and the murderers and the sexually immoral sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It's like, John, why did you have to put that there? Don't you understand that over and over in Scripture, that's the same statement. It just keeps coming up in the Word of God. Church, he has called us to be a pure and a holy bride. I want to fix the body right now. That's why he told us to receive his supper. Because he wants us to be one church. Do you have have communion in your hands? Go ahead, open your communion. It's way too late after we receive this communion. We're going to let people come up and pray who need prayer. But the rest of you, I'm going to throw you out the door as fast as I can. Because i got another service in about 25 minutes. Okay, so. And we got a clean seat. Take the bread in your hand. Take the cup. Now listen, don't drink this if you don't want to be a part of the one church of the Lord Jesus. Don't drink this right now if you are full of anger and godless rage. Don't drink this right now. Don't drink this if you have bitterness in your heart. 
Ask the Lord to forgive you for that first. I don't want you to drink this as just a church member. I want you to receive this as parts of the body of Christ. We are better together. Shout it. We are better together. Anybody receiving this online with me? Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take it and receive it in remembrance of me. Take and receive the spiritual body of the Lord. Take the cup. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant that is poured out for you. Now, wait, if you receive this, now look around the room. If you receive this, then we are all a part of the same body. We have the same blood. We have the same blood. Do you receive that? Look around the room. You ready? Look at me. You ready to have the same blood as me? You ready? The blood of Jesus Christ that removes all of our sins. Take and drink it. Now lift your hands and honor the Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you because we are one body. I thank you because out of the word of God, you have made us better. We are a part of one race, the human race. We are young and we are old. We are men and we are women. We are people who have been through great pain and people who have struggled and overcome. We are your church, Lord Jesus. Now make us white, make us beautiful, make us holy through your blood, Lord Jesus. Let us be without spot. Say it, without spot, without wrinkle. Beautify us. Perfect us. Father, we surrender our lives to you now through Jesus Christ. Bless us, keep us in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. If you want prayer, you can come up front and prayer workers will meet you. I want you to love on one another. Come on, give a lot of air hugs out on the way out the door. You may be dismissed out the back or you may be dismissed to the the front. God bless you all. Worship or sing if you would. God bless you all. Come and join in at 11 o'clock. Thank you.